0: Welcome to the Gateway Church podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. What's up everybody? You in a good mood today? You good? You should be in a good mood. I wanna welcome everybody at all of our campuses, everybody at any Gateway gathering and those of you watching around the world, also wanna say, Hello, and I love you to Gateway Scottsdale and Gateway Tempe. It's great to be with you as well. If you got a Bible, I want you to turn to two spots, Leviticus chapter eight and Revelation chapter one. How about that for a scriptural duo? (laughs) Leviticus and Revelation. Mm Mm-hmm, yep, yep. And let me just kind of poke fun at myself a little bit. On the flight home last Saturday night after the service, I watched the message on the plane, and one of the things that was very, very apparent was none of my sarcasm landed last week. (laughs) Something you got to know. Remember, I told you last week, my my twin, Pastor Tim Ross, if you don't know what that means, we've been best friends for a decade and a half. My twin was a a stand-up comedian at the beginning of his career, okay? And you can tell. And I can tell that you can tell because he gets a third of the way through a joke and you people are falling out in the aisles and stitches. I tell a joke and you don't even know it's a joke. So I'm not even gonna try and be sarcastic. And and for years, for, for 20 years, Pastor Roberts tried to tell me, Preston, you need to put more humor in your sermons. When he comes back, if he asks you, did Preston put any humor in his messages? Here's what I want you to tell him. He tried in week one, and then we told him to please stop. Okay? My jokes aren't funny, and I know it. I own it. I'm just glad to be here with you. It's, it is really an honor to get to sit in my ministry hero's pulpit for a month. And Last weekend, we kicked off our series entitled Saturated. And we talked about, we, we used the parable of 10 virgins as a springboard. I know the point of the parable is readiness, but Jesus distinguishes between the wise virgins and the foolish virgins. And he says, the thing that differentiated the two, that separated them, the wise virgins had an abundance of oil and the foolish virgins did not. So we started a conversation last week talking about types of oil the church needs more of in these days. Last weekend, we talked about the oil of gladness. We learned that gladness is the guaranteed result of knowing God is pleased. We talked about the pleasure of God. Out of all the things the father could have said over the son before Jesus did anything in ministry, it's mind-blowing to see that Jesus says, I love you, and I'm so pleased by you. It's mind-blowing to know that he looks at us and says the same thing. And that begs the question, once you get a revelation of God's countenance towards you before you even do anything, what's the response? I think there is one response above any of the other possible responses. And here it is, you consecrate yourself. And we're gonna talk about today the oil of consecration. Leviticus chapter eight, starting in verse 10 says, Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it, the oil, on the altar seven times. That's the number of completion. He was making a statement. Anointed the altar and all its utensils and the labor and its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. The oil was used to anoint, but also at times to consecrate. Now, before we even get into point number one, I know that some of you might have grown up in a different tradition of faith, where the word consecration is a serious, serious word for serious people who are serious about God. It's a vow one makes That can even include a vow of celibacy. I'd just like to go on record and say, that's not me. Okay, that was a joke right there. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you when I make a joke. (laughs) But I want you to know something about consecration. As we establish a foundation for consecration, point number one, you need to understand consecration is romantic, not religious. Now, I know when I use the word romantic and attach it to God, some people get wonky on me. And we're gonna talk about this in week number four. And, and let me just submit to you, if there's anybody in your life that's close to you, maybe a family member, maybe a coworker that has the wrong idea of God, I want you to pray about inviting him to church in two weeks. Because I believe God's going to show himself in a way many people have never seen him before. All right? One of the things you need to understand, God loves intimacy. And consecration is not a religious thing, it's a romantic thing. Now, let's define this word consecration. Consecration means the dedication of something or someone to the service and worship of God for God. And in this message, you might hear me use the phrase set apart. And just like last week, we we talked about that joy and gladness can be used interchangeably in Scripture. It's the same way with consecrated and set apart. They're synonymous in Scripture. The consecrated life is the set apart life. And last week, hopefully you got a better understanding of the way God sees you as a father as it relates to your work. And here's what I wanna say as we transition into consecration. You don't set yourself apart to earn God's affection. You set yourself apart because you already have God's affection. When you get overwhelmed with the revelation that the God of the universe is at all times obsessed with you, you cannot help but set yourself apart in response. Consecration is the best response to God's affection. Let me show you just one of the verses in Scripture from God's perspective, how he sees those who set themselves apart. Exodus chapter 30, verse 30 says, And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may minister to me as priests. Notice, God could have said, anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them to be priests. But he didn't just say that. He said, anoint them and consecrate them because I want them to minister to me. Not just on my behalf. They're doing this to me, for me. It's as though God is saying, one of my favorite things to ask for and receive is someone who dedicates themselves to me, to minister to me. David, I believe, got a revelation of this. Psalm 4, verse 3, he said, you can be sure of this, the Lord set apart the godly for himself. Think about this for a second, that the God of the universe looks in your direction and says, I have set you apart for myself. And I want you to set yourself apart for me. This is romantic talk. This is God saying to you, come away with me and away from all that other stuff that distracts you from my face. Now, if you're the kind of person that likes homework, I'm gonna give you a little homework for the week. If you hate homework, then fine, just don't even worry about it. But if you love homework, if you're nerdy like me, here's, here's a little homework assignment. Read the 91st Psalm once a day, every day, for the next seven days, and just meditate on it throughout the day. In the 91st Psalm, we see, and there's a little bit of disagreement over who wrote it, either David or Moses, and here's what I would say. One was the friend of God, and the other was the one who was after God's heart, unlike anybody else. You can't go wrong with either one. Okay? And in the 91st Psalm, the writer is talking about the benefits of the set-apart life. And then at the end of the chapter, we see God's response. And I want to show it to you. Psalm 91, verse 14. God says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore, I will deliver him. Look at God responding to someone setting apart themselves in love. He says, I will set him on high because he has known my name. Okay, this word love is not the usual word translated for love. This word specifically means to cling, to cleave. I don't know if you know this, but God loves it when you're clingy. He says, because you have forsaken the rest, have left it all and clinged to me, you're gonna see my response. Because God loves those who set themselves apart for him now that brings us to point number two you may not like this point but it's like broccoli okay just force it down if you have to put velveeta on it okay (laughs) point number two consecration demands boundaries consecration demands boundaries boundaries define limits they mark off dividing lines they establish or separate one territory from another territory. And you might be interested to know that multiple times in the Old Testament when God uses the word consecrate, in the very same breath, he talks about rules or boundaries. Let me just show you one of those instances. Leviticus chapter 20, verse seven. God says, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am the Lord your God and you shall keep my statutes. Who's the you? The consecrated. I want you to consecrate yourself. And the consecrated, you're going to keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Here's another way to say this. Believers cannot live boundaryless lives. I have two teenage boys. They would love a home absent of boundaries. And if I oversaw... A home with no boundaries, here's what it would go like. They would stay up all night playing video games and sleep all day. But here's the good news. I don't oversee a boundaryless home. In my house, we got some rules up in here. Now here's why. Because they might think something isn't a big deal. But as their father, I have a different perspective than they do. I know some things they haven't quite figured out yet. And so I set some boundaries to try and protect them from running into some of those stumbling blocks. Okay, Preston, so you're saying if you wanna set yourself apart for God, you gotta set boundaries. Okay, great, I wanna set myself apart for God, so where do I set my boundaries? Here's the answer to the question, you don't. Confusing enough? You don't set your boundaries. Let me show it to you in scripture. Exodus chapter 19 at Mount Sinai, I think is one of the best teachings on godly boundaries in all of scripture. Let me show it to you. Exodus 19 starting in verse 10 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Watch this next part. You shall set bounds, Moses, for the people all around the base of the mountain, saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or even touch its base. That's a great word right there for what we talked about last week with the gray area. God is not a God who enjoys his children getting too close to the fence line. That's the gray area, the fence line. God says, tell them, don't even touch the base of the boundary. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch them, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. This is how godly boundaries work. First, he sets them. Second, you establish them. God says to Moses, hey, Here's the boundary, the entire base of the mountain, and I want you to establish the boundary. And third, you both enforce them. God says, if anybody crosses this boundary, shoot them in the back. Okay, incidentally, this is why this was the specific teaching I used to teach my only daughter how she should respond to any boy who crosses her boundaries. (laughs) I opened up my Bible to Exodus 19, I said, this is how godly boundaries work. God sets them, you establish them, and then we all enforce them. (laughs) And if he crossed that line, sunshine, shoot him in the back. (laughs) That was not a joke, by the way. (laughs) Believers are not at their best or safest when they're setting their own boundaries. Believers are at their best when God sets their boundaries and they live within them. So here's my question for you. Who sets your boundaries? Do you decide how many drinks? Young man who happens to be single right now, do you decide whether or not to go into her apartment? late at night, after the most romantic date you've ever had in your life? Ma'am, do you decide how many days you can go in a row without spending time alone with God? Who sets the boundaries for your life? How can I make the case that Jesus is Lord of my life if he doesn't set the boundaries for my life? The set-apart life cannot be lived by those who set their own rules. Godly boundaries are godly because God is the one who sets them, duh. But sometimes I just need to be reminded of that. Consecration to God demands boundaries which God sets. That brings us to point number three, and this is where this message gets a little bit interesting. Consecration is a priestly mandate. And some of you might be thinking, this is it, Preston. You were getting me. You're about to get me in point number two. I was actually starting to feel a little convicted. I started to think, man, I, I don't really have godly boundaries in my life. And, and I, man, this is serious. God has to set your boundaries to be set apart. I don't even know if that's for me. And then you tell me point number three, consecration is for priests. Now understand, it isn't for me, Preston. It's for people like you. I'm a parishioner. You're a priest. I don't have to worry about all these godly boundaries to which scripture would say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, not so fast. Flip over to Revelation chapter one, if you put a marker there, we'll read it together. And remember, a priest had to be consecrated in order to be a priest. Let me show you something. Revelation chapter one, starting at verse five, listen to the way John is starting off this letter. He says, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He, Jesus, has made us. Who's the us? Everyone freed from their sins by the shedding of Christ's blood. That's the us. In Revelation 1, 6, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father. (laughs) Okay. I don't know if you know this, but this presents a bit of a complication. Okay. Hebrews chapter four says that Jesus is our high priest. Okay. Now we all know Jesus is the king of kings and every knee will bow. But Hebrews 4 and other places tell us that Jesus is our high priest. Here's here's what appears to be a little bit of a complication. Under the law of Moses, the high priest was over the priests. And once you get Saul, the first king, the king was over the people. The high priest was over the priests. Here's another question. How can Jesus be a high priest when under the law of Moses, the priest could only come from the tribe of Levi? Bible trivia. Anybody know the tribe Jesus came from? Judah. That's the line the kings come from. He didn't come from the tribe of Levi. So how can he be our high priest? Well, to answer these questions, you actually have to go to the first time the word priest is used in the Bible. And wouldn't you know, it's not in the book of Leviticus. It's not in Exodus. It's in Genesis. Let me show it to you. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. After Abram returned from his victory over Kadorla Omer. Can we hit the pause button there for a minute? Can you even imagine the morning sickness this kid must have given his mom in such a way that on the day of his birth, she looked in his direction and said, I'm gonna pay you back, child. Know what I'm gonna name you? Kadorla Omer, boom. (laughs) After Abram returned from his victory over Kadorla Omer and all his allies, the king of Sodom, Sodom went out to meet him. In the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Okay, this is really interesting because this is the first time the word priest is used. Melchizedek wasn't in the tribe of Levi, he was king and priest. And what is it that he does? He brings the bread and the wine to Abram. Fast forward to the book of Hebrews chapter five, verse eight. It says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified Jesus as a perfect high priest. And he, Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Watch this next part. And God designated Jesus to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Some of you are thinking, Preston, I have no idea what this has to do with me. Let me help you understand. The fact that God qualified Jesus as a high priest, not from the tribe of Levi, the line of Aaron, but from the order of Melchizedek, who was both king and priest, means one thing. Our king is over a kingdom with nothing but priests. I've heard that phrase most of my life, kingdom of priests. And you know what I really thought it meant? A kingdom with priests. I I just really, all these years I've thought, yeah, it's a kingdom with priests. It's a spiritual kingdom, the house of God. It's going to have some priests like Pastor Tommy, Pastor Robert, sure, priests. No, 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 because Jesus is both king and priest perfect high priest, it means the people he is over are priests. This kingdom has nothing but priests. Here's what that means. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the call on your life is not to be a parishioner or a partaker. The call on your life is to be a priest of God most high. What is a priest? A priest is one set apart to minister to God and represent God to the people. Think about this for a minute. Think about the song the four ancient creatures and the 24 elders are singing. Now, I know many of us didn't really spend a lot of time even thinking about the four ancient creatures until Pastor Robert started blowing bullets in my head with Revelation about the four ancient creatures. Think about the song they're singing in Revelation 5 with the 24 elders. I'll read you the lyrics. Revelation five, verse nine. You are worthy, Jesus, to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you have caused them. Who's the them? All the ransomed people. You have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Okay, growing up, I heard a lot about reigning with Christ our King. I did not hear near as much about ministering to God as priests. Think about this. If this is a kingdom with nothing but priests, I know we have a lot of people walking around going, "I, I reign with Christ our King. We got a lot of those people We don't have nearly as many people walking around going, I minister to God as a priest. Here's what this practically means for you. In a kingdom of priests, to reign as kings, we first must minister as priests. I wonder if one of the reasons we don't have as many believers reigning in this life is simply because they haven't mastered the art of ministering to God as the priest they've been established to be. I personally believe that this kingdom of priests phrase and the revelation that goes with it is going to sweep through the entire body of Christ in the last days. And here's why. In order to take our place for the kingdom on the earth, we first must take our place as priests in this kingdom of priests. You wanna reign with the king? Saddle up and minister as a priest. What does this mean? 1 Peter 2, verse five tells us what this means. You also, speaking to believers as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, the house of God, a holy priesthood. To do what? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our last point. Point number four, consecrated priests make extravagant sacrifices. Most simple way I can say it, the work of a priest is to offer sacrifices. Well, Preston, what kind of sacrifices? Well, let me just give you a couple of examples in one passage, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Therefore, let us as priests offer through Jesus, that's how you know it's talking to us as priests, the only way the priest could make a sacrifice to God was through the high priest. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual, constant, never-ending sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. God loves it when the set apart step in and take their place as priests to bring sacrifices through Jesus to him. But you know what I think? I think there's one sacrifice God loves more than the rest of them combined. And I think he shows us in Romans chapter 12, verse one. Paul says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I beseech you, therefore, I beg you, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable act of service. When Holly and I got married, we had debt. We had school debt, and because we hadn't quite learned how to steward money yet, we had consumer debt. And when we got out of debt, every once in a while, we would buy an extravagant gift for one another. Like one time, she bought me a Benelli shotgun out of nowhere, and I proposed to her all over again. (laughs) I love to hunt. She knows it. And she, she bought me the best shotgun she could at the time, Benelli shotgun. And Then one time she bought me a Matthews bow, which I know means probably nothing to many of you, but it's my favorite bow on planet Earth. It was my love language. She just surprised me out of nowhere. But if you asked her today, after 20 years of being married to Preston, what are his favorite things to receive from you? Here's what she would tell you. I've learned that he loves all that, but he doesn't want more of that. He wants more of me. If Preston had to choose between another bow or me tearing down an emotional wall that I put up every time we talk about a certain topic, Preston would rather I tear down that wall so that he can have more access to my heart and fall more in love with me than ever before. Okay, I want you to think about this. God's favorite sacrifice from you is you. He doesn't want your time, your talent, your treasure. He wants all of you forever and always. That's how much he loves you. His favorite gift from you is you. Now, Monday morning when I went into my office and, and set time to be with the Lord and said, okay, it's week number two. Where are we going? I had no idea. I thought I was going to preach on the oil of unity, Psalm 133, but it was clear he was going, mm-mm, mm-mm, 12 hours on Monday. Still had no idea. And then Tuesday morning, it became obvious. He wanted to talk about a consecrated bride A bride set apart unto himself and nobody else. And when I felt like he said, Preston, I want to talk about consecration. The second I heard the word, one verse erupted in my heart. Joshua chapter three, verse five. The night before the people of Israel cross over, The Jordan River miraculously to go into the land of the promise, Joshua addresses everyone and says, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow God is going to do miraculous works among us. And I spent this entire message just to get to this one sentence to set in your lap. With all of my heart, I believe we are about to see. This is a run on sentence, by the way. (laughs) With all of my heart, I believe we are about to see a move of God unlike any the world has ever known. I think it's about to go down like Charlie Brown. The whole world is going to see the power of our great and unstoppable God. And so, like Joshua. Do miraculous works among us. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I know. Point number one, you were tempted to get distracted. Point number two, you were tempted to get frustrated. Point number three, you were tempted to get into a posture of checking out kingdom of priests." The whole message was aimed in one direction, at the bride, to let her know she has been called to be set apart as a priest in service and worship God for God. And priests make sacrifices. They have to be consecrated, set apart, and they have to make sacrifices. So the burden I felt for this moment, I want this to happen at every campus, just between you and the God of the universe right now. If there's any area of your life that you've set aside from God, the most romantic thing to do in this moment is to run straight towards it and give God complete access to it. You can't be fully set apart if you set some parts of you aside, apart, away from God. It's just right now. If there's any area of your life that you've set aside, have the courage to go open up that door. Giving God complete and total access to every room in your heart and life. The second burden that I felt the Lord give me for this moment involves sacrifice. Priests make sacrifices. It's what they do. And you may not have ever heard anybody tell you that as a believer, in Jesus Christ, our perfect high priest makes you a priest in his kingdom of priests. Maybe you've never heard it before. But let me tell you something the way to let God know you're serious about being a priest you immediately begin to make sacrifices like never before. And the picture I got about this weekend was like Solomon. When one sacrifice would do, Solomon wouldn't stop him. He brought a thousand. They just kept coming. Maybe you need to lay down your anger, which has been a crutch for you to protect yourself all these years maybe you need to lay down manipulation because it's the way you've gotten what you wanted all these years maybe you need to set aside the first 30 minutes of your day as a sacrifice of praise to your god just right now in your heart just lay out a sacrifice Holy Spirit, you are here, you are everywhere. And I pray right now in this moment, it would be impossible not to respond to you. If there's any area of our lives which we are holding back from God, Lord, I pray we would open up the door and let the light down. And God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would calibrate each of our hearts to wake up every day of our lives, joyfully laying sacrifices at the feet of Jesus. That Jesus, our high priest, would take them to God the Father. Holy Spirit, don't stop until every person who can hear the sound of my voice gets to a place where they say, God, in you, I live and move and have my entire being. You are my everything. And God, if there's anybody who can hear the sound of my voice, who does not yet know you for who you are, Holy Spirit, I pray you chase their hearts with an indescribable love that they would come face to face with the God of the universe. Was so overwhelmingly in love with them that he sent his one and only son to die for them. Jesus, it's time for us to take our place as the bride of Christ, your priest. Here we are, use us, in Jesus name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.